0: Good morning, Chevrolet Baptist Church. Merry Christmas from Grace Baptist Church. Thank you all for allowing me and my family to come worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ with you all this morning. I'm so encouraged by you guys already. Um, I'm encouraged by the fact that there's a gospel preaching church right up the street from where I grew up. I grew up right out down the street in Landover Hills. Spent some time in Chevrolet. So we, Grace Baptist Church, we pray for you guys regularly. Um, We're excited to see what God's doing through your congregation, and I'm excited to bring God's word to you all this morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 57 through 80. If you're using the Pew Bible, you can find today's text on page 856 in the Bibles that are provided. I'm going to pick up in verse 57. Will you read with me? Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring where he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loose, and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them, laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then would this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his prophets of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The earth that he swore to our father Abraham. To grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. And holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the most high. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is God's word. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the proclamation of your word. Thank you for the hearing of your words. God, I pray that you will use your word through the spirit of God to reveal the son of God to the people of God. And that, Lord, that you will bring joy to your people. That you are called the unsaved to be saved, and that you will receive glory and honor to your name. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. What will it take for you to rejoice in the Lord today? What will it take for you to be happy in the Lord? In the midst of so much suffering and sorrow, how can you rejoice in the Lord this morning? I don't know about you, but this time of the year brings rejoicing and sorrow all at the same time. The weather changes. Fear of the virus become brand new to us. Our children are are fighting constantly. Our plans change. We have attitudes that don't change. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. They ain't seem to keep adding up, don't they? You see, in the midst of so much suffering as Christians, we still have 10,000 reasons to rejoice, don't we? Have you come to the realization that the Christian life is, is in the column of sorrow and rejoicing at the same time? That we live in both of those columns. You see, we know that the world is not in the place that God originally intended it, due to our own rebellion against him. And that fact makes us lament. But at the very same time, we know a world awaits us where there'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more sin. There'll be no more pain. So we rejoice. Just like that young shepherd boy who went to the most deliest battle because his father told him to. To bring his brother some lunch. Kids, do you guys know who I'm talking about? Who is this young shepherd boy? Yes. Sorry, in the the back there, I want to call my son. Yes. David. Absolutely. Colton, you were going to say David? Yes, good job. (laughs) That's right, it's David. The reason why the Israelites are so afraid and they're frozen with fear Because there is a gigantic giant called Goliath. He's the champion of the Philistines. And he challenged God's people to a duel. He said, send your best warrior out and face me and winner takes all. The winner of this battle will be the champion. And that army wins the whole battle. We know how the story ends, don't we? David, with a sling in his hand, he lays the enemy on his back. God's people rejoice because the victory is theirs because God provided a champion. Luke chapter 1, verse 57 through 80 is about a new champion that has come to save us from our enemies. Through today's text in Luke, We'll take our eyes off ourselves, we'll take our eyes off our sorrows, and we'll place them on our champion, the Lord Jesus Christ, the horn of our our salvation. We'll be able to see him through the tender mercies of God. Today's sermon is titled, Rejoice in the Tender Mercies of God. You're taking notes. There'll be two points. Point number one, rejoice in the tender mercy of God's hand upon your life and rejoice in the tender mercy of God and providing us our salvation. Church, we have a God that works in ways that are beyond our ways, whose thoughts are not our thoughts, whose plans are not our plans. See, we first encounter Elizabeth and Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Zechariah was a priest. His wife, Elizabeth, was a daughter of Aaron. They were both declared righteous in the sight of God. They both were very advanced in age, and Elizabeth was unable to have a child. You see, while Zechariah was serving as a uh, a priest, burning incense in the temple, praying to the Lord, the angel Gabriel shows up. And he appeared to him and told him that his prayers have been heard and have been answered. His wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you should call his name John. And Gabriel told him, that you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. How did Zechariah respond? How did Zechariah respond, It, kids? Anyone know? I know. I, yes. How did he respond? But not believing. In disbelief. Good job, buddy. He says, how do I know this to be true? For I'm an old man, and my wife is an old lady. And because of his disbelief, he was made silent and unable to speak. You see, what the angel Gabriel said came true. Elizabeth conceived and had a child. She said, the Lord has looked upon her with grace. As we pick up in verse 57... We receive see God extending his mercy upon Elizabeth and Zechariah. Her husband, the baby that was promised, is now born. And I want you guys to notice that the birth of this baby brings joy not only to Elizabeth, but also to her relatives and her neighbors. What brought about this rejoicing? The text says, The Lord has shown great mercy. Mercy in the Bible is usually paired with how God deals with his people. Mercy is not getting what you deserved. You see, let's not lose the fact that Elizabeth having a baby is a merciful act of God. You see, when you receive mercy from God, the most natural response is to rejoice. To rejoice in his kindness to the undeserving. Not only that, we learned that when God extends his mercy and kindness to us, the natural response is to invite others, into your joy. Who are you inviting into your joy, into your sorrow this morning? You see, being a member of a local church puts you in a position where you can actively rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You see, are you close enough with the members of this church that they are experiencing your joy, that they can minister you in your sorrow, See, if you have experienced God's merciful hand upon your lives, why keep that to yourself? You see, when we invite others into our lives, we see the hand of God. It brings God glory, and it magnifies his name. We will soon find out that the tactic of this sort of fellowship is hard work. You see, the people that we, we, we intend to do life with, to invite into our joy, into our sorrows, it brings conflict. Community can be messy. The rejoicing that Elizabeth was experiencing quickly turned into conflict. The neighbors and relatives wanted to call the baby after his father, Jechariah. But his mother spoke up and gave a stern no. He used to be called John. That name didn't make sense to them. Nobody in their family was, was called by this name. They said, let's see what the father has to say about this. Because Elizabeth doesn't know what she's talking about. They made signs to Zechariah because apparently he wasn't able to hear and speak. He signaled for something to write on and he wrote down, the name is John. See, I think we learned a couple things from this text. First is the obvious one. Don't go around telling people what they should name their babies. (laughs) Don't do that. That's not cool. Secondly, I think we should listen to our women. The women in our lives, we should listen to them. We have some godly sisters in our churches, don't we? And I think God can use them to give us wisdom and direction in our lives. Two things I want to have every husband ask their wives, because we have godly women in our homes, don't we? First question I want you to ask your wives this week is, what, is, what do you think God is leading us or directing us in our ministry, in our marriage, and with our family? The second question I would love husbands to ask is, how can I be a blessing to you today in our marriage? How can I bless you? Women, keep speaking, okay, because we're listening. The third thing we can learn from this encounter with Elizabeth and Zechariah is that we will be put in situations where people will tempt us to go against the very hand of God in our lives. Whether that's in our workplace or kids at school, there will be people around us telling us to do something that contradicts the very hand of God, his will for our lives. You see, is there an area of your life where the opinions of others are big and God's opinion is small? Where does your fear of man show up? Will you choose today to remove your hand upon your lives and allow God to direct your heart, your mind and your steps? If not, God has a way of humbling us, doesn't He? I don't, got, I don't want you guys to miss out how he worked in our very heart of Zechariah in these nine months of silence. He went from disbelief to belief. What happened to him in the silence? See, God's tender, merciful hand was upon his heart and his mind and his steps. God has a way of using our silence to conform his plans into ours, to conform our plans into his. God has a way of working. See, I don't know what you guys are going through today, but I do know there's a God that is at work in your lives. Will you trust him? When God feels like he's not there, trust that he's working. Maybe you're in the season of waiting. Maybe you're waiting for a new job. Maybe you're waiting for a new career. Maybe you've been praying for a child. You're waiting for your husband to step up and lead. Waiting for that special someone. Maybe just waiting for the very return of Jesus Christ. You see, the truth is, we're all waiting in silence for something or someone. Let me tell you that even in your quiet, you can rejoice in the merciful hand of God upon your lives, that He is working in you and through you to accomplish His plan. God is showing us that all we need is Him. You see, as soon as John wrote on that tablet, his mouth opened, his tongue was loose, and what's the first thing he did? He blessed the Lord. He praised God. I don't think this response of blessing came because he could speak again. I think it's because he experienced the very tender mercy of God in his suffering, in his silence. Those nine months of silence for Zechariah, they brought repentance and faith. It brought transformation. Church is in the trial, it's in the silence, it's in the sorrow that God is disciplining his children, the ones he loves, in order for us to be transformed from one degree of glory to another, to come out looking more like Jesus, to come out rejoicing so that we can share in each other's joy and we can praise God together. Verse 65 says, fear, fear came on their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all Judea and the hill country. Verse 66. And all who heard them, they laid them in their hearts, saying, What then would this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Is God's goodness and mercy laid up in your heart this morning? It was for the people in our tax. See, they asked, What then would this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Church, let's continue to rejoice as we look at this prophecy from Zechariah. Point number two, rejoice in the tender mercy of God and providing our salvation. What I want you guys to notice is that nine months earlier, Zechariah couldn't believe his wife could have a child because he didn't believe in the words that were spoken by Gabriel. But now, being filled with the Spirit, he has his own message from God. Not only is he, is he speaking it, he's singing it. He's rejoicing. Verse 68, he says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. I don't want you to lose this. Grasp this statement and what it would have meant for the Jews of that day. The Jews haven't heard from God for over 400 years. In their minds, God has forgotten about them. God doesn't remember his planaries. He has turned his back away. Zechariah is declared that just like his mouth, God is no longer silent. He is bursting forth to rescue his people. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. If you weren't already filled with the joy of the Lord, Zechariah tells us to rejoice. That we have a God that has visited his people to redeem them. This is what Christmas is all about. God becoming one of us. We have a king who stepped down from heaven to become one of us to to visit you, to sympathize with you, to teach you, to rescue you, to redeem you. See, Jesus came to visit us to feel what we feel. When Jesus was on earth, he experienced our suffering, our sorrow, our temptations. That's how much God is in love with you. That he wants to feel what you feel. Even today, Jesus is still human, and he is still feeling what you're feeling, Christian. There's nothing anyone here is going through or will go through that Jesus hasn't experienced. And he is able and willing to sympathize with you, to encourage you. Rejoice in your sympathizing high priest, whom we can draw near to with boldness and assurance. You see, Jesus had become one of us in order to redeem us. He became a curse without actually sinning. On that cross, he took our place. He paid the price to set us free for the very penalty of sin. And just like Zechariah's mouth, the prison doors are opened up for us so we can walk in freedom. This freedom that we have in Christ is worth rejoicing even in our sorrow. Take a look at verse 69. And he raised up. It's horn of salvation. Zechariah's prophecy gives us another reason to rejoice, that God has raised up a horn of salvation. This is the only place in Scripture where Jesus is is called the horn of our salvation. The word horn was very common in the Old Testament. It It was used either to talk about a musical instrument or a weapon of an animal. Kids, in our text, what is the horn of salvation used for? Is it used for a musical instrument or a weapon? Of an animal. Which one? Say it again. A weapon. Absolutely, brother. A weapon. This horn of salvation is a weapon. And what is it used for? Zechariah is that God has raised up this warrior, a savior from the house of David. In verse 71, he will save us from our enemies. From the hand of those who hate us. God's pictured a wild ox, putting his enemies to shame, pulling them on their backs. You see, the horn of an animal is a sign of strength. It's a sign of victory. Listen to what God promised his people in Psalms 132, verse 17 and 18. He says, there I will make a horn to sprout from David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. This prophecy is filled in Jesus Christ. David says in Psalms 18, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. See, David says God is his defense, his shield, and his offense, the horn of his salvation. God is fighting for his people, putting them to shame, placing them on their backs, receiving the victory over all who hate us. Zechariah is thinking of a messiah who will come and put his enemies on their backs, like King David to Goliath. Zechariah most likely had Rome in mind. The Jews of his state had been under the oppressive rule of the Roman Empire. Zechariah is most likely looking for a national political deliverance, freedom from the very yoke of Rome. But we know who this horn of salvation is. He is Jesus, the Messiah. In his first coming, he didn't deal with a national liberation, but a spiritual liberation. And we are still waiting for his second coming, where he will rule as king of kings and lord of lords. And all of his enemies will be put under his feet, conquered. You see, in verses 74 and 75, we see that this horn of salvation what he was raised to do. You see, Jesus' first coming, he came to deal with our enemies so that we can serve God without fear, in holiness and righteousness. You see, what stops us from serving God without fear? Is it not our own sinfulness? See, I'm convinced that every human being, we wake up in a courtroom. In that courtroom, we have a prosecutor who is condemning us of our sin. He was reminding us of how terrible we are. He was reminding us of our, 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 our self-righteousness, how we have fallen short this past week. And we're believing him. And, we, and we're self-justifying ourselves. We're saying, God, I have done a lot of good things this week. I'm not as bad as that person over there. We seek to self-justify ourselves, and all along we have this re- this this horn of salvation, our Messiah, our Savior, who comes in and he takes our place, he takes our trial, he takes our sentence, and instead of our dying, us dying for our sin, he dies in our place to forgive us of our sin. That is a very merciful hand of God on our lives. Person, stop stop self-justifying yourself. Run to the very tender, merciful arms of your father. That's what we have in Jesus. God is... We don't have to look at God and say, God, I have done all this stuff for you. We have to see Jesus taking our place. See, God has raised up this horn of salvation to justify us and make us holy and righteous so that the enemy can no longer condemn us. The people around you can't shame you. You can't even shame yourself because none of those opinions matter. All those opinions can go out of the window. The opinions of others, even your own opinion of yourself the only opinion that matters is the opinion of your heavenly father. And if you are in Christ, whatever is said about Christ is said about you. You guys remember when Jesus was baptized and he came out of those waters? What did, what did, what did the heaven say? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Do you hear your heavenly father saying it over you? That you are his son, you are his daughter in whom he is well pleased? That he loves you? Pray that you do. You see, it was God's plan all along for us to be in relationship with Him, for Him to be our God, and for us to be His people, that we can be filled with His grace and His mercy. This is why He established covenants with Abraham and David. The teens here, what, is, what did God promise Abraham? I know you guys are studying Genesis. What did God promise Abraham? Yes. That through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Oh, well done. You guys remember he showed them the stars? These stars will be numbered. and How great are your family? And we are one of those stars. You see, this horn of salvation is the fulfillment of that promise. You see, in his grace, God chose Abraham and his descendants to be his very family, whereby he would be offered salvation to all the families of the earth. You see, God made a promise to King David as well, that he would establish his family and his throne forever. And both of these covenants are unconditional. What that means is that God is going to keep his end of the bargain, despite if Abraham or David keeps theirs. God will keep his word. Church, rejoice that you have a a promise-making God and a promise-keeping God. Is there a specific promise that you are holding on to this morning? You see, for me, I'm, I'm holding on to the promise that, remember when Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, don't be anxious about anything, what you should eat or what you should drink. The Gentiles do that. But your Heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask. What he says, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What promise are you holding on today? You see, the Christian, the Lord knows what you need. You shall not want. When we look into the eyes of our Savior, our cup runs over, and we know that his goodness and his mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. What promise are you resting in this morning? You see, no matter what you're going through, you have to know that you, you can keep going because God keeps his word. That's what Christmas is all about, God keeping his word, keeping his word that he spoke through the holy prophets. There are 300 prophecies of a coming Messiah. I want you guys to listen to one. This is Micah 5.2. He says, but you, Bethlehem, after the, though you are small among the clans of Judah, all of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are, are from old. From ancient times. This horn of salvation is the one from ancient times. Micah is describing the one who will be the Messiah and the shepherd of, of the people of God. This king is not like any other king. Even King David himself called him Lord in Psalms 110. Why? Because he's the eternal king. He's the king from before time, the eternal shepherd, the eternal God. Beloved, this is why Zechariah is rejoicing. In verse 76, he looks at his baby son. He says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. This child will be the messenger of God. And what was his message? What was the message of John the Baptist? Was it not to repent and believe? Repent means to turn away from or change your mind about being in charge of your life. To turn away from thinking that you can earn your way to God, to earn your salvation. That you can pay off your sin debt by doing a lot of good things. Repentance is a a conscience acknowledgement that you cannot save yourself where you're confessing your own brokenness, your own sinfulness, that you, that you bring nothing to the table. You're acknowledging that the greatest good that you can do is still insufficient to put you in a right relationship with God. Repentance is a turning away, but it's also a turning towards something or someone. It's a turning towards Jesus Christ. See, John's message is to repent and believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Jesus came to do something that we couldn't do for ourselves. That is to live a perfect life and to die a death that we deserve on the cross. Jesus did that, so he he had to do that in order for us to be in a right relationship with God. We can escape the very wrath of God and it can be satisfied on our behalf. Do you believe that this morning? If you're sitting here and you're not a Christian, let me plead with you just turn away from your sin, to turn away from thinking that you can earn your way to God by your good works. Confess your sin to him and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who took the very penalty for your sin on the cross and that through faith in him you can have eternal life please do not leave here today without receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior and as the Lord of your life. Take a look at verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. It's because of the tender mercies of God that we can rejoice in our salvation. Listen to me. Everyone in this sanctuary deserves one thing. And that's death, because of our rebellion against God. The Lord treats us way better than we deserve, because of his tender mercy. You see, he isn't the police officer who who pulls us over and gives us a stern warning never to do it again. Kids, he's not Santa Claus. He's not checking the list and making sure you're naughty or nice. He's not the colts that's screaming at us and telling us to get it together. He is merciful. He is tender. He's kind to us. You see, what if we began every day of our lives, not in a courtroom, but in the very tender, merciful arms of our Father? Oh, what joy and freedom that would be. You see, it's because of his tender mercies that God called John to prepare the way for the horn of our salvation someone far greater than him, to prepare the way for his son, Jesus Christ, who was marked for death at his birth. See, it's the tender mercy that caused Jesus to be resurrected from the dead three days later. See, he is the sunrise from heaven that shines to give us light in our darkness. He is our dayspring in which we sing, O oh come, O oh come, Emmanuel. He is our hope. Is that your song while you're in the darkness? We are waiting for a second visit, aren't we? You see, he is guiding our feet into the way of peace. You see, Jesus, who is our peace, is guiding us home. Because even though we walk through the very shadows of death, to fear no evil. But he is with us. Rejoice that surely his goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life, and you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Rejoice for the peace of knowing the final outcome, that your champion, the horn of your salvation, the morning star, will bring judgment upon those who hate you, your enemies. Just like the little shepherd boy from Israel who slain the gigantic giant Goliath, he was just a preview of a greater champion of a greater warrior who faced a greater enemy, who brought forth a greater victory for his brothers and sisters. This champion tasted death so you would never have to. Our champion has set us free from sin and death. He said, there's nothing that can stand in our way or separate us from this reality. And it's all because of the very tender mercy of God. Rejoice. Rejoice. Let's pray. Father, you are a God who remembers. You are a God who is merciful. And so we rejoice. We rejoice that you remembered your promise to Abraham. We rejoice that you remembered your promise to David. God, it's proved because you have sent your son, Jesus. He's the fulfillment of those promises. He's the very image of your mercy. You see, all your promises in Christ are yes and amen. as your people, help us to cling to them. Let us bind them on our hearts. Let your mercy amaze us each and every morning as we wait for you to come back and deliver us from our enemies. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.